Hello everyone, this is your host Ramakrishna from Usha Investment Group LLC. Welcome back to Multifamily AP360, the show where we discuss 360 degrees views on mindset, passive and active multifamily investing. For those who are looking for tips, strategies, best and challenging experiences. Also, I request you to share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Today's our guest is Paul Neil from epc.capital. Welcome, Paul. Thanks, Ram. I'm excited to be here today. Yeah, thank you very much, Paul. Uh, likewise, a little bit about Paul. Innovative and creative entrepreneur with 20 plus years experience in the financial services and technology industries. Created new brands, developed successful businesses, strong strategic thinker and implementer. So with that, Paul, you want to add anything to your background? <laughs> well, that's quite the introduction. Um, I'm a I'm a father of of a of one daughter who is a cancer survivor, and now she's uh, aiming to be to fly jet pilots. She's in the ROTC in college, and uh, just just loving it. Awesome, awesome. Thank you. So, share me. How, how did you get into financial world, and you know you're also into technology side also. Share me that experience. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of a long story, but uh, I'll give you the abridged version. So. Um, growing up, I always uh, was a big dreamer, wanted to uh, do, do big things and uh, went um, into the engineering route. I thought that was the way to do it. My father was an engineer. I was, I was pretty good at math and science. And I, I started working um, while I was in school in a co-op program and then uh, briefly after school and had some experiences realizing that, it, you know, that world wasn't where I wanted to spend my time and where I wanted to really plant my roots. Although I enjoyed the math, I, I didn't see for myself the opportunity to pursue the dreams that I had. And so I got connected with uh, some people. Actually, my, my sister and brother-in-law had been successful in business for a few years and it really caught my attention. And I thought, well, I'd like to go into, maybe I can hitch my wagon there, go into business and, and learn how to, um, how to do some things beyond sort of my comfort zone. And uh, from there, uh, we went into business together. It was not long after that. I replaced my, my engineering income and um, really never looked back. And I started in finance about, I didn't take finance courses in college. I took the basic economics classes and whatnot. And, but I was always good at, like, again, math. I really enjoyed math. I enjoyed solving problems. And so um, through a pretty circuitous, circuitous route, I got involved in the, in the residential real estate finance world and um, actually started a company, a, a, a broker shop back in 1998. So I started at that point, really digging in and learning about finance. And um, and from that point, off, you know, away we went and uh, built a really successful company, weathered the, fun, the wonderful storm of 2008 <laughs> and, uh, and got back up on our feet. And, um, and here we are today. So so it's been at this point, um, gosh, you know, 24 years in the in the financial space and, and specifically in real estate finance. And um, have just over the years grown to love working with business owners, entrepreneurs, investors, and and helping them to do some of the things that, that I've always wanted to do in terms of pursue our dreams, but but do it in the real estate finance world. Like it. And since you did like some course on economics. So what's your take on current economic situations? So yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a that's a, an onion for a lot of layers to peel back. 
So it's it is interesting, you know, and we look carefully at the treasury markets and you know, we look at what's going on with inflation. Obviously, there's a lot of concerns out there. There's a lot of talk about, you know, moving into a recession and a couple of neg- quarters of negative growth. Um, you know, my take on it after, you know, digesting everything. Now, you know, when you take a look at what's going on over in the Ukraine and all that, that's a little bit of a wild card. But when you look at sort of what we went through with COVID, I really believe that was a supply, a supply chain shock when when demand moved to to to, to goods and ser- to goods from services very rapidly during the COVID shutdown. And that drove prices up. We we all know about the ships getting stuck off Long Beach and you know couldn't get product in. Well, that's starting to shift. That actually started to shift a few months ago, um, sort of in concert with this this big run up in inflation. And when the Fed in middle of June this year, when they did their first rate increase and came out at 75 basis points, they were signaling to to us in the world they're going to try to put the brakes on inflation. And so they they bumped the prime rate or the funds rate 75 basis points. And if you look at the um, the uh, the Treasury, the, like the 10 year um, note, you'll see that that was the peak. The ten-year went from gosh, from uh, December of last year to like around one percent to just over three and a half percent in June. When they did that, they signaled we're going to try to put a brakes on this. At the same time, you see, you hear stories of uh, Target and Walmart coming out for the first time, saying, "Hey, we're starting to see a glut of inventory coming in of of, of goods." Um, you see the shifting now more back into the services. People want to go, you know, get other house and do experiences. So we're seeing some shifting there, but um, with the Fed move, the the 10-year note started to drop and they've done since done a, a second increase or they're going to do another one here um, shortly. And um, now we're, we're sort of, the, the, the 10-year note has trended down, it's bounced up a little bit in the last week or so. It's just kind of trying to find its home. But if you look at the long-term yield curve, which is really kind of the telltale sign in our opinion of, of where the big global money thinks you know we're going to be. You know, the long end of the curve is still down close to 3%. And if, you know, if the world was really, really concerned with, you know, runaway inflation and the long term and runaway growth, then, then that, that number would be higher. And so we think coming into the fourth quarter, we're going to see a moderation of, of interest rates. Again, bar any, you know, the crazy stuff going on right now in Europe and, and with, the, with the energy crisis, that, that's, a, that's a wild card that we're not really sure what's going to happen. But um, it's definitely, I will tell you, it's definitely every day is a new day and every day is a new adventure. Um, not really sure, you know, how the headlines day to day, but I think we're going to see in the fourth quarter and the first quarter of next year, some moderation of that. And, um, you know, there's a lot of talk also on the on the residential side about, you know, the housing crash and all that. Having lived through that um, and, and experiencing what caused that from sort of the inside out, to, to the state we are in now, we're in a totally different world than we were then. You know, um, they, they, you know, came out, laws were changed in 2010. Dodd-Frank changed how loans were underwritten. Uh, banks got super conservative. And so when you look at this, the state of uh, residential real estate, um, which impacts multifamily because the prices of residential has gone up significantly and, 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 and due to a lot of factors, obviously rates are low, but supply is still very low of residential real estate. And, you know, people say, well, there's all these homes are going to come on the market and, you know, there's going to be a glut. The reality is 38% of all residential mortgages are 3% interest rate or lower. So now that interest rates have come up to the fives and low sixes, who in the who in the right mind is going to trade a 3% mortgage for a 5 or 6% mortgage unless they absolutely have to move, right? 
So, you know, that's a small percentage. So that inventory is not coming on the not coming on the market. Then you have this group of millennials, which is this largest, you know, sector of, of, of buying population now reaching their 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 buying, you know, home buying age or starting families. You know, COVID said you can work at home a couple of days a week. So now they want to they want to get out of that little apartment. They want to have space for an office, you know. Um, so you've got all these buyers in the market and you have very little inventory, tons of equity. And um, so so we're not going to see that. Um, and so you've got rents that are, you know, rents are going up, right? So on the multifamily side. Um, that's that's the other thing. It's like, well, um, if I if I if I don't buy, I have to pay all this rent. And so it's like it's not a good choice either way. Um, but but it is going to be interesting, I think, in the fourth quarter. I, th- I think we're going to see ease a bit and uh, it's going to create opportunity. Got it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So are you are you seeing any like increase in supply side? A little bit. Yeah. I mean, there there is. I mean, we're we're and which is a good thing because you know, we were seeing, uh, you know, outrageous numbers in terms of appreciation on the residential side, because, you know, people were competing and offering way over the, you know, the asking price on homes. Um, that actually is still happening some with the, with the nice properties. The properties that aren't so nice are the ones that are kind of sitting around and, and accumulating more days on the market. Um, but But again, there's not a tremendous amount of inventory. And so, we're seeing more of a balance. And, and so we think that we're going to see on the residential side, probably three, four, 5% appreciation over the next 12 months. We're, we don't certainly don't expect a wholesale deflation of that market. Now, real estate, as you know, is, is location, 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 right? So there are some markets that are just, you know, crazy and, you know, they're very cyclical, but for the vast majority of people, in the, in the nation, um, particularly in, in markets that you know where you are. If you're in a growing market, people want to live in your area. You know that. And so you're going to be in good shape. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, so there is, there is one more factor like affordability and you know, if higher interest rates, there's a uh, big impact with you know affordability stuff. You know? How do you see that? In terms of affordability? Yeah. For, for bond, well, for buying residential, the, yeah, it, 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 the loans have definitely gotten more expensive. The payments. One thing that is never factored into that is that the the wage increases that people have seen nationally too. So you have to factor in the the fact that people are getting pay raises. Now, what we factor in the cost of gasoline and things like that going up. People are starting to feel a pinch, you know, in the in the budget. So you're going to see some buyers are going to come out of the market. But what I think is going to happen. Um, and what I think some of the smart people I listen to think is, you know, um, people aren't going to not necessarily buy. They just might not buy the house they were going to buy before. So if you're going to buy an $800,000 house, may- maybe now you buy a $650,000 house. Yeah. If you're going to buy six fifty, dollars maybe now you're going to buy five hundred. dollars Yeah. Right. So it doesn't mean you're not going to buy. It doesn't mean you, you don't want to, you know, move or whatnot. Um, and so... But again, it also creates on the lower end of the spectrum people that maybe can't qualify for residential that are they need to live somewhere. Yeah. So it's a great opportunity from the investment standpoint on the multifamily. Yeah, yeah, got it. And so from a financing point of view, so what are the trends you're observing? The trends, well, I mean, typically we're seeing the um the the normal traditional banks are getting much more conservative uh you know obviously the rate the rates are going up with those with those banks and banks banks i say all the time banks aren't our friends really i mean they they loan to people in situations when when you don't really need the money at the end of the day 
Yeah, uh, they're 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 very risk averse, and in a in a world right now where there's turbulence, there is uncertainty. You know, we don't know all the answers. They get even more conservative in terms of what they're going to do. So, so uh, we we turn to we work with a lot of private investors, um, family money, private groups of capital, and things like that that still want a a great return on their investment, and so. So they're they're seeing the opportunity to step up to the plate and do some things that um, maybe the banks were doing six months ago, a year ago, um, and so that that market is expanding a little bit now. Again, we are seeing, and, it, and it's really interesting because um, it's the market's not really moving in concert yet. There's there's a lot of different pieces that are trying to figure things out, and and everyone has sort of a different expectation. So, you know. Uh, one investor might be really still might be very aggressive while another might be you know stepping back and being more conservative i will tell you that time to close and speed is is really critical now because the longer it takes to close a transaction there's more turbulence and things that can happen you know in in the process so we see we have a lot of investors that'll that'll opt for bridge funding where we can close very quickly um you know avoiding prepayment penalties things like that so they can get into property they can get it stabilized and get the cash flow, realizing they might have to ride this for you know two or three years. But at some point, you know that that the long term lending space is gonna gonna settle out and they'll be able to you know take that out. Um, but time time is critical. So, some of the lenders, too, particularly again the banking side, have cut have cut staff because they think, well, you know things are gonna slow down. We don't need as much staff, and so again it just drags out the whole process. Which impacts the borrower because a lot of times, you know, you're not going to get an interest rate commitment until you know you're within closing, you know, close tight closing time frame. We see that more and more too, where before when rates were stable, the investors would say, all right, we'll go ahead and you know, you, you get underwritten for a deal and you think, okay, my rate's gonna be this, and then you get to the closing table and it's like, mm-mm, sorry, here, here it is, you know, which impact, you know, affects cash flow. So, so the so I would say right now it's it's a it's an opportunity to um, you want to be nimble you want to have your act together if you can you want to work with somebody or have two or three sources that can you know give you some flexibility but speed is definitely of the essence right now uh, from investors' point of view how exactly they position themselves to win these opportunities in this current situation. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, I, I, I tell people to, you know, position themselves a couple of things. One is um, this applies to, you know, to you personally, it applies if you run a business, it applies to an investor, I think is is basically three things. You know, I think it's a great time to to, to take uh, take a knife to your expenses, to 80, 20 those, to take a look and see, hey, what what are the 20% of expenses I really need? And what are the 80% of the fluff that, that I don't need? Somebody told me once, hey, you know, take all of your credit card statements, go down now with a, with a highlighter and hit everything that you can't really defend and justify. Um, and if you're, if you're investing in real estate, um, you want to make sure that the investment management companies that you're using are doing the same thing. You might Now's a good time to, to make sure you're getting the biggest bang for your buck there, that they're not, you know, overcharging. Um, Sometimes investors will manage that themselves, and I think there's some great platforms out there where you can self-manage that and, and be, you know, be more involved and cut those expenses. Um, I would say if you run a business, you might would consider buying in a partner. Now would be a good opportunity for that, um, or or maybe look at your lowest producing uh, employees and maybe consider you know what you know what what their future is. Next thing I would short the balance sheet. You know, I would I would look at uh, I would look at you know your debt, your assets. Are there any assets that are not performing? Can you convert those into something that is that is more you know that, that perform better? Do you have a piece of real estate that just doesn't do what you want to do? Can you can you get rid of it now while the market is still tight? 
and maybe reallocate those funds to something that's more more effective, a better yield. Um, you know, I'm not a big fan of of, of necessarily going into a, a time like this and paying down debt. Um, I'm more of a fan of of having dry powder in your in your in your bank, cash that you can use to be nimble because. You know, in this turbulence, it will create opportunity. And I think Warren Buffett said, you know, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. Right. So now's the time to like, OK, now that takes a little a little chutzpah, right, to kind of walk against the, the into the wind or swim against the current. But this is really when wealth is made, the opportunities. Um, if everyone, you know, fear, gosh, I mean, sell on fear. Boy, no, buy on fear. Right. But I think you have to do, and I caveat that, you have to do your due diligence. You have to look at the numbers. You can't be pie in the sky and use a pro forma and say, well, this is, you know, if all goes well, um, you need to be realistic about, particularly an acquisition of property. You're like, okay, well, what what is this property cur- currently renting? And I know, you know, one of the key strategies a lot of our investors are using is how can we improve, you know, property so we increase the rents, Um I'm not sure you're going to automatically be able to increase the rents over the next two to three years like we were over the last two or three years. Um, and you also need to be aware and be be concerned about some of the some of the uh, legislative issues that are going on in different parts of the country where, you know, the, the, the landlord is kind of persona non grata and the tenant has all the rights. Okay, that that's that. In my opinion, is 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 a questionable investment, and you're and you're definitely um, walking on eggshells. So. So again, I would say you know 80, 20 of those expenses, shore up that balance sheet and really and, and look to see how you can accumulate cash. Again, sell those non-performing assets to position when that opportunity comes up. Because if you can buy it right, you're gonna be you're gonna be a great position in the next two, three, four years downstream. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much for sharing that. Uh, definitely that is very, very important information. Share me any personal habits that helped you to be successful. Yeah, yeah. Um, personal habits. This is a this is actually kind of a passion of mine because it's something I'm, you know, I work on every day, and and um, and there's room for a lot of improvement for myself. But but basically, there's there's three things that I try to focus on. One is elimination. So what what can I eliminate? And they're kind of the easiest to identify, not necessarily the easiest to do. But you know, what can I eliminate in my my life that's not adding value? Um, and so three things come to mind. One would be you know just general news. Try to get cut the news out of my life because you know they call them stories for a reason. It's a lot of stuff that I don't really need to know and and probably won't impact me. I don't do social media. It's just I, I don't I I call it anti social media. I know a lot of people love it and there's some value there, no doubt. But I don't have time for that in my life. And and the last of that is I try to eliminate negative influences. So you know people in my life over time, um, I'm, I'm I'm trying to be friendly and cordial to everyone, but. I don't have a lot of room in my life for people that are going to tr- are going to bring me down. So I, I eliminate that. The next thing is addition that, that you know I want to add. Um, every day I, I try to listen to uh, something motivational, positive like this. This podcast. Where can I learn? Where can I be motivated? People say, "Well, you know, do you really need motivation every day?" It's like, "Well, do I need a shower every day? Do I need to eat every day?" I personally do. Um, it's next thing I would read. I try to read 15, 20 minutes a day in my field or something to help me to grow as a person. And then the last is exercise, you know, because that helps, helps me get good ideas. It clears out, you know, kind of the, 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 you know, the uck out of my system. Um, cause I find if I'm not moving, I get, I start getting antsy. I start getting um, agitated. I start getting, you know, anxious and that's not a good state to be in, to be effective. So I think those are the two big things, just eliminate some stuff that aren't helping, 
and then try to add a, a couple of habits. And if you're already doing those, yeah, I try to double down. I try to improve on that, you know, myself. Yeah, got it. And share me any one personal movement, a personal thought or learning or decision that you took impacted your life. Yeah, um, I think the, the biggest thing that's impacted me is I've, I've learned in my experience here in 30 years is to try to find um, a mentor or a coach or someone that you can um, really sort of lock arms with and um, learn from, be real with, and have someone that's 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 not directly impacted by your success or failure, but ha but has a genuine concern to help you because that, that they're that type of person, because they see things in us that we don't see in ourselves. Um, they 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 so many things that are completely oblivious to us. A, a coach can help you see. They can help you steer around the landmines. I mean, I've had I've had coaches on and on for the last twenty years. I'm actually am a certified coach. I got trained just to sharpen my my sword. I don't practice. I don't have clients or anything. But, 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 but just having somebody to to kind of to ask the tough questions, and and you know really force you to think about what you're doing and challenge things. You know, we we nobody wants to be challenged today. You know, in 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 the world, we want an easy path, right? You know, we want the 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 you know this the fan club. I learned a long time ago in business, I don't want to surround myself with my fans because they're just going to give me yes, 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 as we drive the train, you know, off the cliff. Um, but a, a good coach will challenge questions and decisions. I'll, I'll never forget. I had a, at one of my companies, I had a coach come in and meet with uh, meet with my executive team. And they were talking all about, uh, they used the pronoun we, you know, there's a lot of talk about pronouns right now. It's like, we, this, we, that, like we're a family and all that. And, and I love those guys and they were great people. But my coach stood up and this guy was, he was really successful. He sat on Fortune 500 boards and he turned to me and he said, Paul, he said, look, if the world, if the world crashes tomorrow, it's not we, it's you. It's, this is your business and these people won't be with you. And, uh, and uh, he was uh, prophetic because that's what happened when the world crashed <laughs> in 2008. So it's just good to have somebody that just says, hey, you know, here's reality. Let's bring you back down to earth and focus you on what you're trying to do. Got it. Got it. So any book that impacted your life? Well, well the Bible for me has impacted me um, uh, personally, my personal beliefs. Um, I, I read this one recently that was really impactful. And I'm surprised it took so long to, to get to. It's called Go for No. Um, the, the author's last name is Fenton, I believe, but it was, it's kind of this whole philosophical shift from, I want to, I want to get a yes. I want, I want to find this deal to, um, how many no's can I go through to, to get to what I want to get to? And, um, it's just kind of a, it's, it's, it's an interesting philosophy in terms of focusing more on the, on the activity or the process. And you can apply this to investment, the process of analyzing enough deals to find the right one that you that that meets your you know your requirements versus jumping on the, trying to find the right deal and you and you you emotionally get involved in it. So if I go through enough no, if I just analyze enough deals, I'm eventually going to find the right one for me. And and that and that philosophy is um, this is pretty powerful. Awesome, awesome. And how can listeners can connect with you, Juan? So um, the best way, uh, Rama, is to come to the website. I've got a, I put together a little uh, um, tool for them. It's the critical questions to ask and answer before seeking funding. And it's a great tool just to kind of think through the process of funding. And it's at my website, VPC, that's Victor Paul Charlie dot capital slash podcast. And then a little dash AP 
360. Apple Paul 360. And um and and so it'll be hanging there. You can come check that out or they can uh, they can schedule a, if 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 they have a, an immediate need, they can click a button and get a grab a time on my calendar. We can chat about their what they're looking to do. Awesome. Awesome. And thank you very much Paul. Thank you for sharing economic trends, current market situation. Thank you very much. Rama, it's been great. Thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed our conversation. Likewise. Thanks for listening to Multifamily AP360. Check out the show notes and grab the freebie on our website, ushacapital.com. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Follow me on my social media. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time.